Parsha. And about one concept, hopefully, today, which will be the central theme of, of really Avram Avinu, the central theme is, uh, is, um, is Nisionos, challenges, hardships. So we're going to define what a Nisayon actually is later. But it really is a central theme throughout the life of Avram Avinu. So much so that the Mishnah in Pirkei Avos in chapter 5, Mishnah 3, says that he had ten nisyonos. And it's, uh, it's part of the fundamental parts of the world that he, he passed those ten nisyonos. We'll get to that in a little bit. Okay, so the medrash, we've given this medrash before. It's a medrash in, um, in Breshis Rabbah in chapter 22, verse 3. And it says like this, talks about three concepts, flax, jugs, and cows. We've talked about this, but I'll say the entire, um, entire medrash. Said Rebbe Yossi ben Hanina, when a flax merchant knows that his flax is good quality, the more he beats it, the better it becomes. But when he knows that his flax is of poor quality, it will crumble if he hits it even once. Similarly, the Holy One, blessed is he, does not test the wicked only the righteous, as it says, Hashem tested Tzadik. It's a verse in Tehillim, Hashem Tzadik Yivchan. Hashem tested Tzadik. That's part one of the Medrash. Part two, that was Rabbi Yossi talking about flax. Now Rabbi Yo- Yonason talks about it. Said Rabbi Yonason, is a, a craftsman does not test weak jugs, for he would not be able to hit them even once without breaking them. Which one does he check? The strong ones, for even if he would... Um, for even if he would knock them numerous times, they would not break. Similarly, the Holy One, blessed is he, does not test the wicked, only the righteous, as it says, Hashem test the tzaddik, Hashem tzaddik yivchan, the verse in Tehillim. And last but not least, so that was jugs. Now Rabbi Elazar talks about cows. Said Rabbi Elazar, this may be compared to someone who has two cows, one strong and one weak. Upon which one will he place the yoke? Will he not place it on the stronger one? Similarly, the Holy One, blessed is He, tests the righteous. As it says, Hashem tests the tzaddik. Hashem tzaddik yivchan. Okay, that is the very uh, hard to understand medjish about, about, uh, about flax, jugs, and cows. So what does that have to do with anything? There are three, it's a machlokus about what, it's a disagreement upon what is the reason for divine tests. Why does Hashem give us nisyonos? What is the whole idea. And the Ramban in the first verse in chapter 22 of this week's Parsha, which is the first verse of the uh, Kedas Yitzchak, the binding of Isaac, says that the reason that God gives us challenges is because we get reward on what we do. And a lot of us don't do unless we're pushed to do. And so the way that Hashem pushes us to do is by giving us challenges. From challenges, it can exercise and bring out the true potential that is locked inside of us. And we don't ask for challenges or hardships, but those challenges do bring out, do bring out big parts, do bring out the best of us. And that's what we get schar on. That's what we get reward on. So the reason for a challenge, according to the, the opinion of the Ramban, is to bring out the best in a human being. Don't, doesn't the best from us usually come from being with somebody who's on a higher madrega than us. Oh. Like you said, you know, a weak cow and a, you know, and a strong cow. I would put them both, you know, with the yoke because, you know, it will force the, the weaker one to get stronger because he'll, he'll have to keep pace with the stronger one. Excellent. So according to the Rambam, the second opinion of why God gives us nisyonos, why God gives us uh, challenges 
is, he writes in Mor Nevuchim, in chapter 3, 24, he says that the reason that God gives us Nisiono's challenges is to inspire others. It's because if we see somebody, and there was a back cover to the Sports Illustrated was always written by, the back article was always written by a guy named Rick Riley. Before I left for Israel, he spoke at AJA, and I went to it because my boss sponsored the, uh, the <laughs> venue, so I got good seats to it. And he, every one of his stories was literally one of these emotional feel-good stories about this guy who had a tragic lifestyle or tragic son, and he persevered and became this unbelievable human being. And the reason that he puts those articles in the back is because we read them and we get inspired, exactly like you said. And these stories are inspiring to us. If that person can do X, then I can do X because they are much more challenging. They have a much more challenged lifestyle than I do. So it inspires us. And that's the opinion of the Rambam. I seem to recall having learned that the reason for tests is so that we can learn what we can do ourselves. So, so it's that's the for Ram- us to learn. Right, that's the Ramban. Right. The Ramban's opinion is the Ramban in chapter twenty two, verse one in this week's parsha says for us. It's for us to learn. It's to bring out our potential. It's only for us. Okay. The Rambam is saying a different opinion. The Rambam says no. It's to inspire others. It's to actually bring out uh, bring it the, when people see God test this person not for his own good necessarily, but for the good of everybody else. If you see, like, uh, Rabbi Foxbrenner brought out the Rosh Hashiva of the Mir of Nassim C. Finkel, who I personally got to see also, you could make a, uh, you could, everything that he did, we could say that we could do because he suffered uh, uh, immensely from Parkinson's disease and he accomplished so much. So it basically put a great burden on everybody Jewish to accomplish because what he did was uh, absolutely inconceivable. So if he could do it, we could do it. And that's, uh, we st- I still think about that. I have his picture in my house, and it still reminds me of that. Um, that's the second one. The third opinion is, is that, you know what? Sometimes HaKadosh uh, Baruch Hashem puts tests on people, not because they need it and not because other people need it, but because the generation needs it. We're a weak generation, and sometimes there's a special individual in the generation that, that gets chosen by God, and, because, and through him, everybody else gets forgiven, so to speak. He takes the, the burden of the load of the, of the sins or whatever it is of what needs to be fixed of that generation. And because of that, Klal Yisrael gets, uh, gets forgiven. Who says that? that? That I don't have. I think it's a medrash. It's, it's written in Yeshayahu. It's, I think it's in, if you look in Yeshayahu, and it's also in the Gemara and Moed Katan, it, it alludes to this concept. So living through pogroms and things like that, was, was that a challenge? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the question is, what's a challenge? We'll get to yeah. that in a minute, the what's a challenge, but uh, yeah. Just, I, I knew some uh, Holocaust survivors, and you know, I think it's just whether they had a token or not. Some of them just afterwards became bitter and you know, just left God, and that was it. And others, you know, not that they became so from, but they recognized, you know, Hashem, and they became very successful, you know, very wealthy, very successful, and very positive. Right, that's the, when the Satma Rebbe was dying, and the Satma Rebbe obviously had many Hasidim that believed he could do miracles, and uh, based on the stories, it seems apparently true. But uh, they asked him, as Hasidim said, who are we, who's going to be able to give us brachos now that you're, now that you're uh, not going to be with us anymore? And he said, whoever has a number on their arm that still wears to fill in and has a keep on his head. Because that's uh, like what you're saying. Uh, 
Okay, but that's, those are the three opinions. Is the Nisionos for you, for others to see, or just to give Kapara, to be Machapir for the generation, to, to atone for the generation? What is it? The answer says the Al Sheikh HaKodesh. The Al Sheikh HaKodesh is one of the great uh, uh, commentaries on the Torah. He says, We'll think about the Medrash. All three of these opinions fit into this Medrash, we said. What was the first part of the Medrash? It was Rabbi Yossi bin Hanina. And he says, when a flax merchant knows that his flax is good quality, the more he beats it, the better it becomes. But we know that his flax is of poor quality, it will crumble if he hits it even once. Says the... Um, says the... Uh, <coughs> Says the uh, says the Alshech Hakadosh. This fits into the Ramban. What's flax? Flax is if you go out and you see straw, you beat it, and what comes out is the kernel of what everyone wants. That's what everybody wants is the kernel that's inside it. So too with a person, when God when God tests us, according to the opinion of the Ramban, it's for our opinion because when God tests us and He beats us, so to speak, of the flax, what comes out? The kernel. That unbelievable spark of potential that turns into, that actualizes based on this Nisayan that the person went through. And that's the whole idea by hitting flax. You hit flax and what comes out is the gem in the flax. And that's what happens when, uh, when we get Yisurin also. That the gem in us comes out and others see it. So that's the first part of the, uh, that's the first part of the Medjish. The second part of the Medjish says the Al-Sheikh HaKadosh is like the Ramba- Rambam. The Rambam says that, that Nisyonos are for others to see how great, how, great you, how great they are and they become inspired through it. What's the, uh, the second part of the Medjish? A craftsman does not, uh, uh, does not test weak jugs for he will not be able to hit them even once without breaking them. Which ones does he check? The strong ones. For even if he would uh, break them numerous times, they, for even if he would hit them numerous times, they would not break. What's a jug? Hakadosh, the, the mushal is, is that Hakadosh Baruch Hu takes these jugs out, he hits them, and he shows the world how strong they are. Look at how much they can take. Look at this. Look at this jug. That's the opinion of the Rambam. Look at this person that persevered through so much. If he could do that, I can definitely do that. And that's the whole idea by the jugs, says the Al-Sheikh Hakadosh. And last but not least, Rebbe Lazar says... If they're, they're, the Yasurin Nisionos can be compared to someone who has two cows, one strong and one weak, upon which one will he place the yoke? Will he not place it on the stronger one? Similarly, the Holy One, blessed is he, t- tests the righteous, and so on. What's the whole idea? That a cow has a yoke. A cow takes on the yoke of the generation. And that's the third opinion that we said, that sometimes HaKadosh Baruch Hu chooses an individual or many individuals to take the yoke of all that there is for the whole Jewish people. And that person, uh, unbeknownst to him, but in God's eyes, is actually atoning for the entire generation. Yes? I'm thinking, um, this might not be connected, but the jug analogy could be like, you know, judge... Very nice. How much uh, how much he puts in the jug is how much you're able to contain within uh, the person. Yeah, it's also just water itself is self is self sustenance. Yeah. Beautiful. Where's the water? It's right here. So, <laughs> so, so that's the, so that is a, a fascinating expose of why we have Nisionas. And according to these three opinions, it is um, is uh, it, it is either for us for others to see and get inspired and to change themselves or 
for certain people chosen in the generation to just atone for that generation. With that, we're going to move on to, to a... Uh, that was all, by the way, from Rabbi Bernstein in his book, Agadot, Sages, Stories, and Secrets. We're going to say more from that. But in Rabbi Aaron Lopiansky's uh, book, Golden Apples, that he just wrote, I've heard most of these things on tape, but he just... They wrote it, I guess, for him, or he wrote it, I'm not sure. But he writes about what, what Nisyonos are. And we kind of talked about this. What is a Nisayon? Is a Nisayon just a hardship or a challenge? If a Nisayon is just a hardship or a challenge, I have a question. Why that cannot be? I could prove it. Because according to everybody's opinion of the 10 Nisayonos that Avram had in the Mishnah and Pirkei Avos in chapter 5, none of them speak about the first verse in this week's Parsha, the first part of this week's Parsha, which is Avram Avinu running on the hardest day of his circumcision to do Achnas to invite guests into his house. That is a humongous challenge. That's a humongous hardship. If that's not one of Avram Avinu's Nisionos, I don't know what else could be a Nisayon. That, that sounds like a, a complete, complete hardship. So what is the definition of a Nisayon? Um, in, in chapter 22, verse 12, in this week's Parsha, there's a fascinating Rashi. It says... Um, this is in the Kedas Yitzchak, in the binding of Isaac, in, in the Parsha, in the end of this week's Parsha. Vayomer al-Tishlach yadcha el-Hanar. So the angel says, do not put your hand on this child. Va'al ta'aslo mu'uma. Don't do anything. Ki ata yadati ki kim ata. Because now I know that you, Avram Avinu, are a God-fearing person. And uh, you did not hold back your son, your only child, from me. So he's known as a God-fearing person based on this, based on this, uh, based on this act in the Akedah. Rashi comments, and Rashi says, Ki atayadati me'ata yeshli malahashiv l'satan. Now I have something to respond to the satan. To the Satan. Ula umos, ula umos, and to the nations of the world, to the non Jews, I can respond, says God, according to the Rashi's quoting the Medjish. That complain, what, why I love you so much. Now, says Hashem, I can, I can come back to the nations of the world and tell them why I love you so much, why I love you, Jewish people. I now have an excuse. Because everybody sees now, and I see now, that you're a God-fearing person. That's what the verse says. So it's a little strange, that verse, because was this whole Akedah just in order to justify God's actions to the non-Jews about why he favors Jewish people? Was that the whole idea behind the Akedah? That's what it seems like. And that's what it seems. Yeah, it cannot be. That's what it seems like, though, based on Rashi's, world, Rashi's words. So... Let's just get a deeper understanding at what a Nisayon is. But Anais is part of Nisayon, right? Oh, we're going to get Which into that. All, oh, okay. we're gonna, we're, right now we're going to get into that okay. point. We're going to get into what a Nisayon is. So the deeper understanding is Eov. Let's talk about Eov. He is the ultimate, um, ultimate person that went through Nisionos. 
And the, ver- the first verse in Eov, the Eov is like 40 chapters long, something, it's very, a lot of chapters. In the first verse, it says that Eov was a just and righteous person. It says he was just and righteous. The problem is, at the end of his tests, he turns against God and blasphemes, blasphemes God. He says, uh, you know, I don't deserve this, yada, yada, yada. He goes against God at the end of all of his trials and tribulations, which is understandable. Um, and Avram Avinu, by the way, it's the, the, when the Gemara talks about the difference between Avram Avinu and Eov, which we will talk about, it actually lists some qualities that Eov had better than Avram Avinu. So it wasn't that, meaning Avram Avinu succeeded in his challenges and Eov failed in his challenges. So what was it that caused Avram Avinu to succeed in his challenges and Eov to fail? It wasn't because Avram was born righteous and it wasn't because he was righteous. Because Eov was also righteous. The first verse says he was righteous. So it wasn't in the area of righteousness that, um, that, Eov, that Eov failed and, and Yaakov uh, and, and Avram uh, succeeded. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 11, even more so, of, of Eov, Eov's friends come to comfort him. Re'e Eov, his friends, they come to comfort him and they said, it was because of, uh, uh, by the way, Eov, we come to comfort you and, and you should know they do a great comfort. This is exactly how you shouldn't comfort friends. They say, Eov, you know why all of this happened? It's because of your sins. This is because of your sins, and uh, yeah, don't don't ever do beaker cholim like that. If this if this parsha does beaker cholim, it teaches beaker cholim. This is the way not to do it. So Eov denies it, and Eov says it's not because of my sins that that this happened. And right after that, God appears to Eov's friends and says, "You're wrong. It's not because of Eov. It's not because of Eov's sins. The Eov is, is a great man. That's not why I'm doing this." So where was Eov's failure? Where, in, did, where, where did Eov's fi- failures come from? So we're, go, we're, go, we're digging deeper here. There's a fascinating Gemara in Brachos when, when Moshe is pleading with uh, God. It's actually in the Torah itself. You don't even need to go to Brachos. One of the great uh, 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 mystics, the Me'enayim, one of the Hasidic masters, <laughs> explains that Avram of, Moshe Rabbeinu had a kind of confrontation with God and says, why are you hurting the Jewish people? What are you doing to the Jewish people? And God basically laments over the, the, the patriarchs and says, Whoa, is it that I missed the avos, the patriarchs? You know why? Because I revealed myself to them only as Kel Shakai, as what we write on a mezuzah, Shin Dalad Yud, which is one of the names of God. But to you, I actually revealed to you my real name, Hashem. And, you know, and they accepted me based on everything that, uh, that they saw, whereas you, you know, you questioned my authority, so to speak. Um, the Me'e Naim explains that Moshe Rabbeinu in the world of Das, we have to understand what Das means. Das means perception. Das is a complete understanding to its utmost. And Moshe Rabbeinu of any person that ever existed had the most Das. Das is intellectual comprehension. And God was saying, you, I revealed something to in the realm of das, in the realm of comprehensibility. However, the avos followed my world in a realm known as beyond das, beyond comprehension. And that is where Nisayon comes from. 
The word Nisayon, the definition is of Nisayon, is an act that does not fall into the rubric of reason. An act that is beyond reason. That is the definition of a Nisayon. And that is why, and that is the definition of what a Nisayon is also. Says the Maharal, Nisayon comes from the word Nais. Nais means miracle. Miracle means something that defies nature. Something that is illogical. And the word Nisayon, so that means that Nisayon with the Shoresh, with the root Nais in it being miracle, that means a Nais is something that doesn't fit into the natural order. So too, the Nisayon that the Torah is talking about, that Avram Avinu got tested in, was something that lacked comprehension. It was beyond comprehension. Because something totally out of the, totally out of the normal, out of the norm. And that is why the verse says that Avram Avinu was God-fearing. God-fearing means love is when I understand something. You don't marry someone that you don't understand. You marry someone that you do understand because you have a love that creates through understanding. Awe, yira, awe is really more, fear, more awe than fear, is beyond understanding. You go and you look out. The Rambam says, how do you get to awe of Hashem? Look at the world he brought, he brought into existence. Look at the, we, we are numb to it a little bit based on what we see every day, but if you go to the Grand Canyon, if you go to one of these beautiful sites and you say, how could that be? You are filled with awe because in some realm, it's a little bit beyond logic. This is amazing. This is out of my spectrum of normalcy and this is incredible. But it's also a banner. It's also a banner. We're going to get to that too. So banner, banner actually fits into the Rambam. It's a banner that the Rambam says it's for other people to see what you did. So it's like this person's a banner for everybody to improve themselves based on how you fulfilled their... Uh, yeah, that's what the Rambam says. So, but uh, but a, a Nisayan is an act that does not fit into the rubric of reason. And, and Moshe Rabbeinu had this confrontation with HaKadosh Baruch Hu because what, he, what was going on between his conversation and Hashem was telling him is you can't get past the area of reason. Whereas the Avos, the patriarchs, didn't question me. When things didn't make sense, they still did it. Avram Avinu's 10 tests, one of his 10 tests wasn't the Hachnasas Orchim that he did in the beginning of this week's Parsha. When he was sick, as sick as somebody could be, Kechomayom, in the hottest day of the year, because Hashem was trying to make it so that the guests wouldn't come. And in that, he ran to go see guests. There's no, that's not a Nisayon, because that doesn't de- defy logic. That's a hardship. It's a challenge. It's an unbelievable thing, and he's going to get reward for it. But what, the, uh, what Avram Avinu put into existence of these ten Nisayonos was serving God beyond comprehension. And that's a very, uh, that's a very, very big thing. And that's why the word Nisayon comes from the word Nase, which is miracle, something that doesn't fit into the natural order of the world. And it's not the fact that we said that Rashi says now through this fact that you went through this Nisayon of, according to many commentators, the 10th test that Avram Avinu went through with Akedas Yitzchak. Now I know you're God-fearing and now I have something to tell the nations of the world why I favor you as a Jewish people. It's not because he wants to show the nation. He's, he wasn't looking to justify his actions to the nations of the world. He was telling Avram Avinu, Hashem was saying, I know what is different about you than all other nations. What is different about you about than all other nations is that you serve me in 
all ways, even ways that you don't understand at all, even in ways that don't make any sense. And that was all of Avram Avinu's actions. He went, Hashem tells him, Lech Lecha. So he goes. And what happens? And he goes to go to Israel. There's a famine. He has to leave Israel. It makes no sense. How could that be? You just told me to go to Israel. And now you're telling me to leave Israel? You tell me that I'm going to be the progeny of the whole world. That's going to come through me. And now you're telling me to sacrifice my son? That makes no sense. It's, uh, it makes no sense. How could that be? And Avram Avinu, it was putting that into the world. That's something that makes no sense. That I understand that that is where my area is to serve God. With that said, says, says of Aaron Lopiansky, now that we know that the definition of an Isayon is something that is, does not fall into the realm of reason, so we can understand that when we are faced with tests, and everybody is faced with tests, there's not one person here that's not, God, it's, it's in the creation of the world that we all have, have tests and everybody has different tests. But the answer, is, a low level, obviously the answer is how we get through tests is a muna. And a, a lower level of Amuna, not the highest level, is to say the old Jewish saying that this is all for the best. You know, that's how we are kind of brought up if you are, come from holy families. But there's a higher level. And the higher level of going through tests, now that we understand what Avram Avinu went through, is to say, my das is limited. I don't understand. I really don't know. My das in this world is limited. And my strongest perception of God is things that transcend my das, things that I don't understand. I still believe in God through this. And I recognize that this is an Isayon. I recognize whether it's for the best or not for the best. The point is, is I have limited perception of what, why and what God does in the world. And this is, a, this is something that is in a, in a way illogical to me and I don't understand it and that is a very 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 high level that's the highest level in fact yes um, oh, sorry. I just had a question when Abraham went to greet the guests that was called the Messiah it's not called the Messiah yeah because he, he initiated that not just because he initiated but we're saying that that's true number one but number two I mean every challenge he initiated really but um but more so than that is that it was a reasonable thing. It was, you know, in the realm of nature. Like, okay, it's, it's a very hard challenge. He was sick and he didn't have to, obviously all he needs to do is get well. But it wasn't illogical what he did. So we're nature. saying that it was, his it was part of his nature just to be very giving. So that's why he went above and beyond. That's why he went above and beyond. All the other Nisayonim, you know, um, they um, was, you know, you hear Hashem speaking and you do what he says. But this was like a, he was like a self-initiator. He was a self-initiator. There were other that tests that... Made him, that's what made him go above and beyond. Well, actually, the, the famine was actually self... Uh, it's self-initiating, it is true, but self-initiating is not necessarily the factor because when there's a famine, he knew God wanted him to go out. God didn't tell him to leave. He went to Egypt. But and, this happened to him. Whereas when he was trying to get something out, like the, the guest, he didn't have to do that. You know? Well, he didn't have to. No, he did. He actually didn't have to leave Israel. The the, the, the explained. Yeah, the Ramban actually says that he did a bad thing by leaving Egypt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he did. A famine affects you. A famine, right? It, it, yeah, I hear what you're saying. saying this initiation. You, that's, that's a great point. Yeah. Saying she, she's just saying that uh, he this initiation that he put here, yeah. But we're saying that it's it actually, according to all commentators, this didn't fall into the realm of a nisayon, 
and we're explaining the reason it didn't is even though it was self-initiating and this and that, it, it just, it was, it was comprehensible what he did. It was just way above what a normal human being would do. Whereas the, the ten nisyonos that were put into effect, that he kind of put into effect in the world for all Jewish people to come, was something that was beyond the level of comprehension. It was actually, he was doing against his nature. So whereas uh, Doreen said... So that's why Pippi's a self-initiator is why he was greater than Eo. Is that, is that, could that follow the reasoning? It could, yeah. We're, we're, say, we're saying different, but it could be that that's the reason. We're saying that the reason that he do, him and Eov were different is because Eov, once something transcended his das, once he, you know, the, I didn't flesh this out, but once uh, he got so many Yisurin and he didn't understand why, because like we said, that God said to him, it wasn't because of your sins. And Eov went and turned against God after that. So we're saying that the difference between Avram and Eov was that Eov took his Nisyonos and he didn't understand it. And since he didn't understand it, he went against God. Whereas Avram Avinu, by not understanding his Nisyonos, he served God through him and understood that he only understands a certain amount in this world and God understands more and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve God even though I have limited perception in this world. And that was the difference between them. And that's why all of his Nisyonos are in the area of, I don't understand this, but I'm going to do it anyways. Whereas in the, yeah. Okay, is, yes. Is Shakai one of the names of Hashem? Sh- Shakai, yeah. 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 And so what is that attribute? When, when G- great question. As uh, my potpourri for the day, Shakai is a, uh, the, the, so the Gemara says, la, what does the word Shakai mean? Shendalad Yud. It means um, that Hashem says to his, when Hashem was created the wor- creating the world, he told his wor- world to die. Die. Uh, I don't know if you guys knew the famous Reuters, uh, Reuters, uh, the anti-Semitic uh, cart, uh, portrayal of, of Israeli soldiers. An Israeli soldier was chasing an Arab yelling, die, 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 die with a gun. Oh. And die in Hebrew, my kids, when they were in yeah, Israel, yeah, it means stop, enough. It means enough. So like, uh, so Hashem said to his world, enough. Meaning to say that the world Shakai means in God creating the world, he didn't unravel the world so far in the, an area that we don't have free will. He unraveled the world in a way that we, he said stop so that he has a realm in the world, that he controls the world. And we have a realm in the world where we also control the world and we have a partnership with God in, in, in uh, enhancing the world. That just like we can do the good things, Hashem does also and Hashem wants us to do good. And ultimately, he controls everything. But ultimately, also in the same vein, he gave us a, a part in, in, um, in perfecting his world. So that's where the world uh, Shakai comes from. And that's why we put it on the mezuzah, probably, because mezuzah represents doing mitzvahs. So in the realm of mitzvahs, that's where we can be metak in the world. That's where we can fix the world. So, okay, so that's the, so that was two parts. The first part was is is why do does Hashem give nisyonos? That was the first part we talked about. Three reasons: is it for us, for others, or to atone for the generation? And number two is what is a nisayon? A nisayon is something that defies logic and reason. Ultimately, I mean, obviously, we use it colloquially to talk about any hardship that we go through, but the real ideas of it is is something that's beyond reason and that's why the root of it is miracle which means something that that does not fit fit into the natural order of the world um with that back to um 
back to uh, Nisionos, and we'll, I want to talk about a different part of Nisionos, and that is the Gemara in Baba Basra, page 14b, and it contrasts uh, Root and Eov, and, and Root and Eov, I guess uh, Rus is the, uh, Rabbi Feldman has a daughter, Rus, so it's okay to say Rus, Rus or Root, either one, but it talks, the Gemara says we should put all of the prophets in chronological order. And the Gemara says, well, so based on that, we need to put Ruth number one. We need to put the book of Ruth number one because she came first. And the Gemara says, well, according to some people, uh, Eov was written before, Eov occurred before Ruth. So we need to put that first. So the Gemara says, We don't start with calamities. We don't start with stories that are calamities. So the question then becomes, so why, do, why start with Root? That was also calamities. So the Gemara says, Root ended up nicely. But the, the, the question then becomes, but wait a second, Eov also ended up nicely. Eov, the last chapter in Eov's life was that he, he, he ended up a nice life. In fact, he, he ended up and he, he ended off uh, and he had a normal life, so to speak. It's a, as an aside, Rav Aaron Lopiansky was, um, wrote a chapter in a book. He, Rav Aaron Lopiansky is a great Rosh Yeshiva of Silver Spring Yeshiva. He, he's a great man that his father went through the Holocaust, and his father was an amazing man, Ben Sion Lopiansky. And, and he lost his wife and all his children in the Holocaust. And he got married when he came back to, Amer- when he came to America at an old age. And he ended up having two sons. One lived across from me in Harnof, and he's a very tall individual. I used to dive in the Nate's Minion in Harnof and at Vizhnitz, and it was like a movie. Everybody was this height, and then he was like <laughs> heads above everybody else. And then Ravarin Lopiansky, that's his youngest son. Ravarin Lopiansky, the Rosh Hashiva of Silver Spring, is the, is the, um, is the older. And he has, a, he has a very interesting way of thinking, and he is a, uh, he's an amazing person. Uh, he was he was the one that gave the the eulogy for Fox Brun, Rabbi Fox Brunner's father. If anybody listened to it, the amazing eulogy. So, so when he spoke about his father, his father never talked about the Holocaust, and his father never, even though he was a genius person, just like his two sons, never took a job in Rabbanus, never took a job in 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 the rabbinate because. He was, his whole thing that he lived off of for the rest of his life was going against covet, going against taking honor. He was so against receiving or taking honor, like to a, uh, to the nth degree. So much so that like, you, you literally, all he would do, he had a normal job, even though everybody wanted him to be a rabbi, a pulpit rabbi, or some type of rabbinical position. And he would just learn with uh, uh, laymen in the, in, the, uh, in the city that he lived in. And he, was a, he ended up a normal person. So of Arn Lopiansky, when, when writing a story about his father, Ben Sion, he spoke about the last, the, last cha- the last few chapters of Eov. And he said that's the strangest chapters in Eov. Eov went through this horrible life. <laughs> and, you know, crazy. And then the last chapter, in Eov, one of the last chapters in Eov, talks about Eov as a normal person. Basically, it says, for all intents and purposes, that Eov got up, got dressed, went to Shul, davened, went to Kroger, got some milk and eggs, and then visited his grandchildren and uh, went to bed. That's like the whole chapter. 
So, so Rav, Rav Aaron Lopiansky related to his father, like he said, what's so, what's so impressive about the last chapter of Eov? What's, what's so impressive about that? The answer is, he says, is that a person that went through such tragedies and such trials and tribulations, as did Rav Aaron Lopiansky's father in the Holocaust, to live a normal life and just do normal day-to-day things while serving Hashem in a simple way is the highest that a person can be. There's nothing higher than that. That's actually the highest. So with that said, what's the difference between Ruth and Eov? What's the difference between them? Because in as much as the Gemara says, you know, why start with Ruth? We can't start with Eov because there's calamities. Ah, there's calamities in the book of Ruth. But Ruth ended good, right? Everything ended great in the story of Ruth. But the Gemara is, but the question is, is everything ended great in the story of Yov also? He ended off good too. So what's the problem? Why can't we, um, why can't we, why, why can't we start with Eov? So some people say that there's no causal connection between the good that happened to Eov at the end to the trials and tribulations which he went through in the beginning which is not true for the story of Ruth, that this, the trials and tribulations that she went through from the beginning directly corresponded how she was to Naomi, Nami, how she was to her, staying with her through thick and thin and says, your God is my God. It, they, they correlated exactly to all of the success that she got at the, end of her t- at the end of the story. So maybe that's one answer, but there's more to it. The depth of it is the reason that that Eov is a story of calamity and the reason that Ruth is not a story of calamity is not because, even though they both ended good and, and, and they both started off tough, they both started off with trials and tribulations, is more so, is that Ruth took those trials and tribulations and she turned them into her success. So the, the, the end of the Ruth story was not one of bad turning into good, through the good at the end of the story, the bad in the beginning was actually good because she saw those tri- trials and tribulations as good. Eov, on the other hand, one could say that even though he went through the trials and tribulations and the beginning of this book, and the end of the book, he ended off good, he didn't use those trials and tribulations for the good. In fact, I have a quote from, from a safer here. He has a, um, a quote from somebody in the... In the uh, large ghetto, I think I copied it down here, and it says the truth is it's from uh, from a book called uh, book by Moshe Prager. The truth is that often I am ashamed of myself, how I have fallen from the lofty heights of those days to the life of comforts and smallness of today. Woe is me! How far removed I am today, even from the mere perception of the sublime of that time. He's talking about the Holocaust for our group. The ghetto was the furnace in which our unlimited devotion to Hashem was purified, where one reached a purity of attachment to to the divine, that nothing higher is conceivable. Now, I'm not saying based on that, that, um, I'm not saying that's a, uh, still... Going. I'm not reason. saying that that's it's beyond reason. Yeah, I'm not saying that that's a, a, a bad. Uh, that this is good and this is bad. I'm just saying that there's a way to take your trials and tribulations and to relate 
what, and I could tell you, I mean, very personal things in my life, Baruch Hashem, that they are the cause of good. I mean, they brought out uh, things. My wife did come back yesterday, but uh, from <laughs> 10 days. And uh, I'm going to speak about this a little more. But, but Yeah, the, my kids, the question is me, not my kids. Right. So I am still living, yes. I might have more gray hair. Just kidding around. But it was a really, it was a really great time. And I'll be honest with you. I, there was one night, my wife called me like very limited amount of times. Well, one night I had the most success in parenting that I've ever had, which is great. I also had some failures. But with that success, that's something that I'm not going to let pass. And that was an incredible, incredible thing. And that was through this, uh, this challenge of dealing with five children under the age of seven and under of a uh, of human being that doesn't know how to take care of children. That, I'm just kidding around. So anyways, the, the, but that, that released unbelievable co-hosts. It released unbelievable uh, things that I didn't know I, I had in store, really, to be perfectly honest. Making lunch is very hard for five kids, I have to say. Uh, um, now you can get into it even more since you're so... You know. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Um, so I want to talk about, with, with that, with Root, I want to talk about one, one other topic. And that is Avram's final test. According to the, uh, the, according to the Pirkei de Rebbe Eliezer, and according to the Rambam, Avram Avinu's final test was Akedas Yitzchak, the burial of... Uh, the, the binding of Isaac. Obviously, that's how we all think. According to Rabbeinu Yonah, excuse me, in Pirkei Avos, in chapter 5, verse 3, chapter 5, Mishnah 3, when it lists, when it's talking about Avram Avinu's 10 tests, he said the 10th test is actually the first part of next week's Parsha. It says in next week's Parsha that Sarah died. Sarah died and Avram Avinu got a, got, put a burial plot for her. And, he, and it's, a, it's an amazing first aliyah. It's actually probably one of the most boring aliyahs in, in, in the Chumash. Avram Avinu is talking to Ephron, and they use a lot of ma- my masters and this and that, and, and Avram, a lot of bowings, and Avram Avinu is trying to purchase land. That's it. That's the whole first part. What's so great about that? He kept back his tears. And he kept back his tears. But what's so great? That's the final test. The final test obviously means that this, this, this trumps uh, the binding of Isaac. How could it be? But Rabbeinu Yonah says it. So maybe we'll talk about this. There's a Gemara Navodazara, And the Gemara Navodazara on page 18a talks about Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa. It was a, ta- a, a shas shmad, a time of persecution of the Jewish people. And anyone caught teaching Torah was going to die. So Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa taught Torah. And they arrested him. The Romans arrested him, and he was in jail. And Rabbi Yossi ben Yoezer comes to jail also. And Rabbi Yossi ben Yoezer says, you're so much better than me. I was too scared to teach Torah, I think he says there. But Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa did. And he says, they give all of these great mashalim. You, without Torahs like air or water to the Jewish people, it's our sustenance, it's our life force. And when they're in jail... <clears throat> Rabbi Yossi ben Yoezer says to Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa the most peculiar, peculiar thing ever. He says, Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa, did you ever... Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa, I'm sorry, excuse me, goes to Rabbi Yossi ben Yoezer, am I going to make it to Olam Haba? That's what he says. So Rabbi Yossi ben Yoezer says, Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa, did you ever do something good? And Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa says, you know what? I did do something good one time. One time I had money for my Purim feast 
and it was mixed and I had money for poor people in the same table and they got mixed in together. So I gave all of that money. I didn't want to decipher and I was a little scared about uh, losing money out to poor people. So I gave all of the money to poor people. This is Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa who sacrificed his whole life to teach Torah to the Jewish people to sanctify God's name. He said the one good thing that he did in life, and, and Rabbi Yosef ben Yoizer says, okay, for that you make it to Olam Haba. Out of all the things Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa, one of the ten martyrs I think did, was give some of his tzedakah money, got mixed up in his poorer money, and he gave all of it to poor people. Strange. What, what could be, the, what could be the, the idea behind this? So Rabbi Zolti, if you have ever heard of him, he was uh, one of the great uh, rabbis of Jerusalem. He was the chief rabbi of Jerusalem back in the day. And he says an unbelievable yisod, an unbelievable idea to, to help us understand this. Sometimes, I'll tell you this, myself included, on these last 10 d- days that I had my kids by myself, at first I was a little scared. At first I was a little, you know, how am I going to do this? And then afterwards I'm like, you know what, this is a challenge and I'm going to, this is going to be great. And I actually went into it very happy and it worked out really well. Overall, everything went great. But that was because I knew it was a challenge. And sometimes in life, the difficulty itself that a person, go, a person goes through can help a person through it. It's like, oh, okay, now, you know, I have the, whatever the person's difficulty is, from the lowest, I have my in-laws in town, to the highest of, I'm in a serious situation with chas v'shalom, a loved one, and medical situation, whatever it is, and I have to deal with this. But through the difficulty, that can help a person through it because they get into difficulty mode. And difficulty mode, they're like, this is how I have to be in this mode. The question is, is what if you're not in difficulty mode? How are you as a person? What about those things in life that are non-events? When there's an event, okay, you know, that's how I am in an event. If, you, if when push comes to shove, every person, you know, every normal person's gonna 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 push when it, when there's an event out there. Question is in the non-events, and that's really the measure of a person. I'm not. I have no challenges today. I have no nothing. See who you are when that pivotal moment happens, and that's why says Rav Zolti, Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa did amazing things in his life. But it was a shas shmad. It was a time of persecution. The Romans were persecuting the Jews. So when Rabbi Yossi ben Yoezer said to him, "Have you ever?" Are you, when Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa asked Rabbi Yossi ben Yoezer, "Am I going to make it to Olam Haba?" Rabbi Hanina ben Rabbi Yossi ben Yoezer said back to him, "Did you ever do anything good?" And he says, "One time, my tzedakah money got mixed up in the Purim money that I had for my Purim feast, and I gave all of it to tzedakah." That shows who a person is when there's a non-event in life. There's a non-event. It's not a, I'm not, I don't have a challenge I'm going through right now. Who are you at that moment? And, and secondly, by the way, there's a Gemara in Baba Basra, page 15b, that talks about Eov. And it says the most beautiful thing about Eov. You know, the, the Gemara in Eov says he was a tzaddik. Uh, he was a God-fearing person. The Gemara says, what made him so God-fearing? This is the first verse in Eov. What, what, why was he so God-fearing? It says because every time he had a, he, he was a businessman or he had some type of business, and whenever there was a question about a pruta, a pruta in the Gemara is the lowest form of currency. It would be the equivalent of a penny nowadays. Literally nothing. <coughs> and something that people don't care about. And whenever there is a question of a pruta, he would always round up. 
That was Eov, meaning he would always round up for the person, for the customer. And that's why he was a God-fearing person, because there's no, it's a non-event. Even you have a hundred prutas, a hundred pennies. You don't care about a hundred pennies. Even if a person did this every single day, it's a, it's a non-event. It's not a challenge. But who are you going to be when that, pivotal, when that non-pivotal moment comes? Who are you? Are you a guy that's going to just take the pruta for yourself? Or in a non-event say, I'd rather ha- him have it. And that's really an amazing, amazing thing. The Medjush Tanhuma says in Shmos, chapter 2, verse 7, it says that Hashem does not bestow greatness upon a person until he tests them with something small. And the Gemara goes on to relate what's, what's the mushal for this? Who was the person that represents that Hashem tests, doesn't bestow greatness upon a person until he tests them with something, something small? Moshe Rabbeinu. What point in Moshe Rabbeinu's life? When he was bringing the flock of sheep to Yisro, his father-in-law, before he was his father-in-law. One sheep, one of the sheep moved out of the flock and Avram Avinu went and talked to the sheep and says, well, you know, what's the problem? And he saw the sheep was thirsty and it drank like crazy, drank, drank a ton of water. And Avram Avinu said, had I known you were thirsty, I would have I cared for you. And he, and he finished off by carrying the sheep on his shoulders. That's a non-event. That is the ultimate non-event. That's the ultimate Hashem does not bestow greatness upon a person until he tests, some, some, uh, t- until he tests them with something small. Moshe so be- Avram's final test was something small? So that's what, yeah, that's what I'm going to get into. So by the, before I talk about this, by the way, Moshe Feinstein in the hospital, an amazing story. I loved his, I read his biography. It's, it's much bigger now than it used to be. Moshe Feinstein, the great rabbi of... Uh, in, of America, really, of all time in America. Uh, when he was sick in his final stint in the hospital before he passed away, a woman called while he was in the hospital. And he had, obviously, his children uh, watching the phones. And she called the hospital. And she said, what time does Shabbos come in this week? And, he sa- and the child says, you're calling my father to ask him? This was a person that was inundated with calls from everyone all over the world at all hours of the day. He basically never slept. You're calling to ask my father what time, what time Shabbos is? And he's in the hospital and this and that. She goes... He goes, how could you even do that in normal case? She goes, what do you mean? I've been doing this for years. And he always tells me good Shabbos. And he tells me what time Shabbos starts. How could you ask me that? So that's Rav Moshe Feinstein. That's what we're talking about right here. And, and the burial of Sarah epitomizes that. The burial of Sarah epitomizes that what Avram Avinu, and that's why, the, that's why we could say that Rabbeinu Yonah says the last test of Avram Avinu was bearing Sarah. It was a non-event. He just went through the biggest event of his life. The biggest event of his life was Akedas Yitzchak. And that's our, that, that event was, uh, was astronomical on the level of Bitachon and Amuna. However, this case in the burial of Sarah, dealing with a guy in business, to get a burial plot, which unfortunately I know a little bit about now, and I'm sure others do, is, can be frustrating and it's just a normal business transaction. And in that, Avram Avinu act in a stellar way. And in fact, as Doreen says, it says, Vaiv Kosa. It says that when he cried, there's a small base, there's a small bet. It says that he only cried a little bit. And, and the, um, and the uh, Balaturim says that 
that he only cried a little bit, recognized by Vaiv Kosa means he cried, and there's a small bet to show that he only cried a little bit to say that, you know what, through all that's thick and thin, I'm not going to cry too much because it might make the Satan think or it might make others think that I have all regret about that Kedah, about what I did with Yitzchak, and it's all for nothing based on the fact that I lost my wife. For that, I'm only going to cry a little bit and I'm going to go with things as usual and get my wife through this, get, take my wife through this, this, um, through, through this last stage of getting her a burial plot. And which is an amazing thing to say that that's the 10th tenth, uh, tenth test of, of Avram Avinu was the biggest non-event ever. Now in another realm, obviously, it's the ultimate, the, the, the altar of Slabadka says it's the ultimate act of chesed because most chesed only comes by wanting something in exchange. And the reason that burying somebody is called chesed shall emes is because it's the only act of chesed, of kindness that you do, that you don't expect anything in return. So, that, yeah. I thought I read some place or heard some place they say when somebody dies, you're not supposed to cry so much. Of course, you're gonna, you know, there is feelings in Latin, but especially in a room when somebody had just died, and, and you don't want it to be overwhelmed. If you cry so overwhelmingly much, then it means like you're, you're um, you know, not so happy, like God didn't make the right decision. And Right, so interestingly, the, there's a verse in the Torah, and it says, uh, that you shouldn't, Lotis go to do, you shouldn't make a, uh, a cut on yourself like the, the way of the Emirates because the Emirates used to cut themselves because it's, there's a different uh, point. They used to cut themselves after a dead body because they thought that de- death was the end. Since we don't think that death is the end, even though it's tragic, we have to, the, the mourning is that we're not with this person anymore and we're not seeing this person anymore, but we believe wholeheartedly that there is in the revival of the dead. So, you know, the, it's, if, if it's an end, then it makes sense to cut yourself. If it's not an end, so you shouldn't mourn like that. And so, meaning it can translate into not being, uh, obviously, everyone in their right way, but, uh, you know, not to take things in too crazy of a way. But uh, that's uh, only for great, great righteous people. Um, lastly, there's a, just to end this whole point is that, just to say it in the last way, the, um, we know the Gemara talks about and Rabbi Akiva famously says, this is a great rule, principle in the Torah. So obviously it is a great principle in the Torah, but there's one of the, Rabbi Bernstein brings from one of the Hasidic people, what does it mean, there's a great principle in the Torah? Meaning Rabbi Akiva had 24,000 students that were killed because they didn't exemplify this trait of you should love your neighbor as yourself. How could that be? He's the one that, that taught it. So this Hasidic Rebbe wanted to say, because Rabbi Akiva said, this is a great principle in the Torah. Meaning to say, this is a great principle that remained in the Torah. And since Rabbi Akiva said it was a great principle, so I'm going to use it only in a time of greatness. When am I going to use this? I can't wait so I could be Superman or the hero to save the day and use Ve'aftalarecha And that's where they made the mistake, the 24,000 students, because they thought it was a great principle. It's that klal gadol batar. There's a great principle. And since such a great principle, I'm going to leave it in the Torah. What we're saying now is, is the truth is, 
is that the, the, what can, in one realm, what really makes the person is the non-great principles, the non-great acts. And we need to bring those out and use them more. To just summarize, we talked about three things. Why Hashem gives nisyonos. We gave three reasons for that. The, Ramba, the Ramban for ourselves, the Rambam for others, or to be machaper for the generation. Number two, what a nisayon is. Something that doesn't fall into, into the rubric of reason. And number three, uh, how to take nisyonos. And we take nisyonos by actually using it. And when we use challenges, they don't become challenges like Ruth did. And number four, that sometimes non-events are, the, are really the measure of a person, not the events. And that's why Rabbi Hanina bin, Rabbi Hanina bin Dosa said that one of the greatest things he did that's going to make it to Olam Haba is that he gave the tzedakah money that got mixed up in his poor and feast money all to the poor people. Um, last but not least, I'd just like to say, as I've said before, Avram Avinu, it's a, this is Rav Chaim Velazhin. Rav Chaim Velazhin has an amazing piece on, on the, the Mishnah that talks about Avram Avinu's ten tests. And he says, where it says that Avram Avinu, Asar Nisionos Nisnas Avram Avinu Alavashalom. There are ten tests that Avram Avinu passed, the Ahmad Bakulam. And he withstood all of them to tell you how much uh, Hashem loves Avram Avinu. That's what the Mishnah says. Ruachaim says, this is very interesting. Because here in, in uh, the third Mishnah of chapter Hay, it says that Av, it calls him Avram Avinu, Avraham our father. Whereas the Mishnah before, when it says there are 10 generations from Adam to Noah, and then 10 generations from Noah to Avraham, it doesn't say Avraham Avinu. So, which is strange because when you introduce somebody, when you introduce a character, you should define him. You should have said Avram Avinu. You should have defined who the person is in the first one, not in the second Mishnah. Why does, why does the Mishnah go to define Avram as Avinu in the second Mishnah as opposed to the first Mishnah? So the Ruach Haim, Rav Chaim Velazhin, says an amazing thing. It says because when he went through the ten tests, he became Avinu. He became our father. Says, says the Ruach Haim, there is physical DNA and spiritual DNA. When Avraham went through the 10 tests, these tests that defied reason, he became Avinu. He became our spiritual father in DNA. That means that we Jews have a spiritual DNA to be able to go through Nisionos and to be able to act a certain way because we have these same genes from the Avos HaKadoshim, from our holy patriarchs and matriarchs says here, he says, he quotes a verse in Mishle and he says it becomes like a teva mutba, becomes like a spiritual DNA, what Avram went through with these 10 tests. And he says, we see this, we see that Jewish people, and this is in the times of Chaim Velazhin, this is in the 1800s, in the beginning of the 1800s, we see that Jews have, from all of the lands, sacrifice themselves to sanctify God's name. This is in our spiritual DNA. From He went into the fire pit that Nimrod made him go in to sanctify God's name. That's in our blood, in our spiritual DNA. All of the ten nisionos also. 
also, he was, have you ever seen, this is in the 1800s, this used to happen then, this is wild. He said, Have you ever seen a Jew that gets up suddenly to go to the Holy Land? In those days, it was crazy. They were dying like, they were complete, they were dying right away. This is from the Nisayan that Avraham went through of Lechlecha. It's in our blood that we want to go to Eretz Yisrael. The Kabbalah called the Avdin Mishmaila Tav to say that everything Hashem does is for the best, which we've talked about is a halacha in Shulchan Aruch. This is from Avam Avinu. It didn't make sense. He, Hashem says to go to the land of Israel and then there's a famine. Hashem says this is all for the best and he goes down to Egypt. That is in our blood from Avam Avinu. And he goes on and on. So this is something that we have to keep keep into our heads that the, there's something that's from Avam Avinu that the Ramban starts. It's called Maisa Avos Simin Labanim, mm-hmm. means something that happens to the fathers also happens to us. But there's more to it. According to Rav Chaim Velazhin, it means that what the Avos went through gets into our, and what they accomplished gets into our spiritual DNA. So with that, what's going on in Eretz Yisrael? All of this that we said today should be a. Uh, should help us understand or not understand and still create us, still bring us back to Kaddish Baruch Hu in the utmost devakis, in the utmost uh, closeness by understanding that we don't understand and by staying firmly to our, to uh, sticking firmly to our amuna through this difficult situation. Amen. Amen.